Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, great to be with you today. We're going to open God's Word in a minute, but we are starting a new series, new series for a new year, simply called Future. I spoke a couple of weeks ago of how at the moment it's really hard to see the details in the foreground. But when we have spiritual vision, we actually can see what God's future is. So I believe at this moment there's an invitation for us to begin to adjust our eyes and start to look forward. Often we've looked forward in the past, but to look forward now with spiritual vision to see what God actually has for us as individuals for his church at this moment. I think this is an absolute pivotal moment and we're going to explore that over the next few weeks. I actually think things have become clearer than perhaps they've ever been at this moment. To dig into that, let's begin in the book of Philippians, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We're going to begin in chapter 3 in verse 7. Paul says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which for Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus. There's future language all through this passage. The idea of Paul pressing on towards a goal, a prize, something in the future that he aspires to have. This is life in Christ. Paul understands here as someone who has encountered the risen Christ on a road to Damascus and his life was irrevocably changed at that moment, that the great hope of his people, the Jewish people, whose story was very different to the surrounding cultures. The surrounding cultures had this idea of history as this cycle where things just kept repeating. There was a future, but not really, because what was going to happen tomorrow is simply what happened yesterday. But then this revelation of God comes to the people of God and they see the world in a radically different way. The future does not have to look like yesterday. Sin will not always be here and justice will not always be here. Suffering will not always be here. That actually God has broken into history and points forward to a new day coming for humanity. A different kind of prize, a goal towards which we strive. Paul understood. That that future was embodied in the person of Jesus who came down from heaven to earth. So the biblical story is all about the breaking in of his future at moments when people actually feel like they're stuck in a cycle. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's been even made more clear that we as a culture, we as a city, we as a nation are caught in a kind of cycle. When the usual pattern, the treadmill, the hamster wheel that we had been on as a culture was severely broken or paused by the pandemic, there was lots of opinion articles written that this would cause people to see the world in a radically different way. Have we changed some of our patterns? Yes. Has there been a great rethink? Yes. But also what you see is after two years of this, many of the patterns of the world remain the same. Injustice persists. Inequality goes on. Politicians seem to make the same silly mistakes that they made before. People who are stuck in patterns that existed before March 2020 still seem stuck in them. And so there's this sense that we, like the people who surrounded Israel, are stuck in the story of the repeating cycles. Now, something that we've learned as a church, and Paul hints at it here uh, in a previous series that I did, is that in many ways, heaven gives us this pattern of what the future is going to look like. To give a quote that I gave in a previous series from the biblical scholar James Jordan, he says this, Man is to labor to take the raw materials of the earth and remodel it according to the heavenly blueprint. This explains to us why God would initially create two environments rather than just one. What he's speaking about there is in Genesis, we see God create the heavens and the earth. Man was created to act as God's agent, his son in the world. Man was going to be given the delightful task of transfiguring the world from glory to glory according to the heavenly model. What Jordan is saying here is that heaven is a model of how we are to remake the world. That's heaven is a portent of the future. Heaven shows us the blueprints, the architectural plans, God's design and his creation for he wants the future of the earth to be. When it's remodeled and centered around his will happening on earth as it is in heaven. And so when the earth is transformed by God or humans working in partnership with God on earth, the language that the scriptures give is that this is a blessings. Blessings are heaven coming to earth. In Deuteronomy 28 verse 2, it says, All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now this brings up a really key point. Point number one is when there is blessing on the earth, is when the earth becomes like God's future. It's when heaven's pattern is recreated on earth, where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. However, there is a caveat that Deuteronomy shows us here, that those blessings of heaven will be imprinted on the earth if you obey the Lord your God. Humans are created to bring that pattern on earth, but that only happens when we're following the pattern, when we're actually created to act in a particular way with a role to be God's stewards in the world, bring his heavenly imprint in the world. And that only happens when we obey. To repeat, the future breaks into the present. Heaven comes to earth when we partner with God and we can only partner with God when we are obeying him. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, that charge is given to Israel and it speaks of blessings, but also speaks of curses. 
Moses, in this great last teaching that he gives to the people before they enter the promised land, says to them, yes, when you bring the pattern of heaven to this new promised land, it will be like the blessings of the future, of God's future, of heaven coming down to earth. But if you disobey, if you actually act like the nations who are stuck in the cycle of worshipping the things of the earth, not the patterns of heaven, you'll actually bring curses down. You'll be stuck in a cycle of curses. Now, sadly, that was the story. Israel struggled to obey. They got stuck in the cycle of idolatry, the cycle of sin, and these cycles created injustice and disconnection from God. They experienced the curses of the earth rather than the blessings of heaven, stuck in the repeated cycle of yesterday's mistakes versus living in God's future for them. But the good news is God did not stay far. God himself came down to model to us what an obedient human would look like. Jesus brings the future into the present. Jesus comes from heaven and begins to imprint the earth with God's will. And his resurrection breaks the cycle of idolatry, sin, death, and accursedness. And so Jesus' new reign that is now operative in the world, for those who have spiritual eyes to see, is there is a new order in the world. It is actually the kingdom of God, God's future breaking into now, the heavens imprinting the earth. That is the future you and I are called to live in. That is the future vision of what our church is called to be. That is what our relationship with Jesus, when we obey, will bring upon the earth. But just as there was for Israel, a tendency to live according to the way of heaven, to see the future breaking into the present, or to get stuck in the cycles of the nations surrounding them, the cycles of brokenness, of sin, of yesterday's problems repeated again ad nauseum. So we face a similar forked road at this moment. There is a fight for the future. The devil and our flesh and the powers and principalities of this world, its systems and structures which oppose God, actually do not want the future to break out. They profit from the cyclical nature of continually making our own mistakes. And it's really interesting When you look at that lesson of what have we learned from the last two years, there is a lesson to be learned. When the pandemic first came, it revealed something in the church, perhaps an ugly truth that no one really wanted to talk about. Now, for some time, people had spoken of the great problem in the church, that the church was ineffective in her mission to imprint heaven on earth because there's this great problem of non-obedience, that what had taken over was a kind of form of church and Christianity, which could be characterized as cultural Christianity, nominal Christianity. And the church played into this by creating forms of church, which were actually about rather consumer Christianity of giving people what they wanted, where we came to church and we simply wanted a bit of a boost a spiritual injection to help us continue in our ways of repeating the cycles of the earth. That a vision was actually set by this world, 
not for the world to come. And so when we stopped meeting, even in countries which only stopped meeting for six weeks, vast amounts of people did not come back. It was like a social contract that had existed that no one had named between the church and the people that will keep providing this stuff for you. And people would come to the church and churches were focused upon church growth in terms of growth of numbers. But actually wasn't a kind of internal growth happening in people where we were marked by heaven. And sadly, what that meant is that when people looked for the imprint of heaven in the people of God, sadly, often they saw was the people of God repeating the same cyclical problems that we see in the world. Now, this is a really different reality to what many churches in previous generations centered themselves around. The kinds of churches that read and some of the other churches that we're friends that come out of this great moves of revival and awaking and renewal that happened in the previous centuries was centered around a view that when you fell in love with Jesus, when you gave your life to him, that you stepped into this complete transformation, this conversion where the whole of your life would be marked with the imprint of heaven a transformation of character, salvation that flowed into every part of your life where you were made different because you were now a citizen of heaven who lived in communion with Christ. But a different kind of belief began to take hold really over the last maybe half century, 60, 70 years. Where that initial drive to be the people of heaven on earth began to flitter away. To be a Christian, to be someone who's born again, actually more became about saying, I agree with this few set of doctrines that Jesus died for my sin, that I'm going to be with him when I die in heaven, and to agree with a few set of doctrinal beliefs, that was enough to be a Christian. Now, is it true that if we believe and have faith in Jesus, that he died on the cross, rose on the third day, that if we bend our knee to him and say yes to him, is that a correct, uh, we're going to be in heaven, or is that a yes, correct doctrinal statement? 100%, absolutely, I affirm that. But what began to happen is this little break began to occur, and that little fracture actually became a giant chasm. Well, that to be a Christian was simply adhering or saying yes to a few intellectual beliefs, regardless of whether these beliefs actually transformed the entirety of your life. And so what we have as this problem has developed over the last few decades is we have many believers and many churches who believe they're saved but actually have no transformation. Salvation, justification with God became to be completely separated from sanctification becoming more like God. And churches, as I said, played into this. We had people who believed the right things, but whose lives weren't being imprinted with the mark of heaven. And so what we're now reaping, and the, the pandemic accelerated this problem, was the cost of non-discipleship and non-obedience. People who proclaimed and believed the right things about the future, but actually the transformational mark of the future was not on them. 
And they just thought the same people had always made the same problems that religions had throughout history. And so the cost of non-discipleship, of non-transformation, of non-spiritual growth means that the church is stuck in an endless cycle. What this means personally is for believers is cycles of endless frustration. Why doesn't Christianity seem to be changing my life? I believe the right things, but I'm not changing. And me and my friends get stuck in this plateau. <sighs> cycles of addiction, cycles of anxiety, malaise, sin. Bleh. Why am I doing this? This is also true for churches, which then are filled with people like that, led by leaders who believe the right things, but whose lives aren't changing. And then churches get stuck in the same cycles. I've had people recently say, hey, Mark, can you come on our podcast and talk about this new dynamic of young adults deconstructing their faith? And my response is, it's not new. I saw that 10 years ago, I saw that 10 years before. We can actually take that all the way back to the first century. It's a cycle, a cycle of irrelevance, which has happened throughout the history of the people of God when churches find themselves irrelevant to the culture. Why? Not because they need to jazz up their music or have more technological take up, but actually because they're no longer marked with the imprints of heaven. They speak nothing of God's future. Compromise. It's a cycle the church has always found itself in when it says yes to the values of the world and turns its eyes from the values of the kingdom. Failing leaders, again, a cycle. When the church then goes in the opposite direction and tries to do it all in its own strength and falls into the cycle of the religious spirit, which has no grace and is all legalism. The cost of non-discipleship means being stuck in an endless cycle with no hint of the future, no good news. Now, what's really interesting is that renewal hovers at moments when we're stuck in cycles. Now, I've been talking about renewal for a few years. God's put this in my heart. And often when people would hear about it, they would think that what this means is vast amounts of people all of a sudden becoming Christians a huge evangelistic outreach that comes sort of almost out of nowhere. But when you actually study the histories of renewals, revivals, awakenings, what you realize is that the salvations and the people coming to Christ for the first time, that actually ends up being a byproduct of something that happens first. That every renewal and revival that I could, I could study began with a renewal that happened in a person or a group of people who were already believers but who gave Christ the whole of their lives. He said, yeah, I believe these things, but these beliefs that I have, I want them to flow into the rest of my life. This occurs at a personal level and then flows into the corporate due to the social nature of humans. And so early revivalism, when it first kicked off, well, so many of the great movements that we're a part of began when people said, I am sick of the church being stuck in a cycle of repeating the same mistakes, of having no hints of heaven or the future, of not representing the kingdom of God. And we're actually going to say no, and we're going to say yes to actually the whole of our lives going over to Jesus. To say yes to holiness. To say there is not going to be a part of me which is not going to be marked by the imprint of heaven. I want his future to break into every part of me. 
and salvations came. But they said they came as a fruit of people seeing the transformed lives of people who were marked by the future that God has, who were imprinted by heaven. And so these renewals and revivals happen when there's actually a few key elements. And when we don't understand all these elements, we can get this wrong. The first one that often happens is there's an interruption. Often in the area, there's a a great tragedy. Something comes and breaks the usual pattern of life that people have, and they begin to see the world differently. This could be the great revival that's happening at the moment in the world amongst Persian people, people who in Iran had the Islamic revolution in 1979. Their whole structure of the country changed. The churches could not meet as freely as they once met. Many people then as a diaspora went across the world. And that interruption was one of the first elements that has created a renewal amongst Persian people across the world. If you go back to the beginnings of so many of the stories, one of the great revivals that began on the eastern seaboard of the United States was when a group of Christians on Wall Street started praying because there was an economic depression that had come across the world. So often there's an interruption, but often also there is an interruption to the pattern of our lives, to the cycle that we're in, but an interruption alone does not bring a renewal. And we've had one of the biggest stinking interruptions to our patterns in the last two years, but in of itself, is that going to bring renewal and growth and the heavens imprint upon our lives? No, there actually has to be other ingredients in the cake. The second thing that we need is we need interruption, but we also need God's revelation. Because if we don't have God's revelation, if we don't have his words speaking to us, we're just going to see the pattern through the usual cyclical patterns of how we observe things. So we're going to see the interruption through the usual patterns of how we observe things. We will see the interruption through the eyes of our usual earthly metrics. We'll politicize it. We'll see it as an inconvenience. We'll hack it, we'll try and tweak it, we'll try and ignore it, we'll be overcome by it. Whatever reaction it is, if we don't have revelation, we're just going to keep repeating a cycle or perhaps jump onto a new earthly cycle. So we need an interruption, but it can't just be an interruption. We also need revelation, but it can't just be revelation. I know many people who have had a great life interruption, perhaps a tragedy. Perhaps they've moved countries. Perhaps they've had a relationship fall apart. Perhaps they've suffered an illness or a disease or the death of a loved one. And you go and you pastorally care for them and you minister to them and you see that things are changing. But I've also seen when that interruption, they have a revelation But then you come back two years later, maybe the illness is gone. Maybe they're now safe and secure in the new country that they've moved to. Maybe they've built other relationships. The interruption's over. The revelation was there, but the seed's fallen on hard ground and washed away. There's not transformation. So you need a third element. And I believe this is the third element. There are people who have understood that we're in interruption. There are people with a heart after God that, yes, God's wanting to say something at this time. But there needs to be this key third element. Dallas Willard said something really important in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. He said this, the general human failing is to want what is right and important. 
but at the same time, not to commit ourselves to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. Repeat that last line. We intend what is right. We say yes to those beliefs. Interruption, revelation. Yeah, I've got those beliefs. I'm getting this, I think. But the next step is where it falls over. Am I willing to put the whole of my life down and surrender everything, as Paul said? Seeing every cycle, seeing the whole of your life, seeing what you value and see that as garbage compared to being completely imprinted with the life of Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3, 13, verse 14, forgetting what is behind, forgetting what I had, forgetting the cycles, I strain towards what is ahead. Paul is fighting for the future. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenward, the pattern of heaven, God's future breaking in. This is a language of he is, what is he? He is committed and he is determined. So we need three elements for renewal to happen at a personal or corporate level. Yet we need an interruption. We've had one of them. We need revelation. Not everyone's having the revelation, but there are people in the church having the revelation. But the seed will fall on hard ground. We need this third element and it's determination. Determination to strain ahead. Now, this is a really key nuanced moment that we need to get. Am I saying then that we run around like religious headless chickens deeper into legalism and try and do it in our own strength? No. Rather, it's a humble surrendering determination that actually realizes that I cannot do this in my own strength, but I'm determined to lay down the whole of my life. Christ have all of me. And a determination to keep taking that posture when your flesh is saying, no, just leave that little bit there. Put a little fence around that bit. You've given all this to God. Just keep that bit for yourself. We need to remember that language of Paul, that striving, that pushing forward, not in our own strength, but through surrender. Am I saying that we can be saved in our own strength? No. But what I'm saying is we need to have the kind of lives where God's future breaks into our lives and we move away from what we have now is a kind of discipleship of non-obedience, which actually is no kind of discipleship at all. The church will be turned around at this moment when it's no longer a church, which is just created holding houses for non-obedience, slowly accommodating itself to the world and its desires. At any moment in history, renewals, awakenings and revivals break out when people say, yes, I give you everything, mark it and transform it with the imprint of heaven. I want to live for the future. I'm done with the repeated cycles. Now, we're going to deep dive into this over the next few weeks. Probably some questions you have now, we're going to try and answer, I'm sure. But I just want to end on this. There's a fight for the future over you. There are patterns. 
patterns which want to keep you stuck. One of the great lies of the enemies is that these patterns will always be. And maybe you're like, Mark, I'm still here. After two years, I'm still watching on digital church. It's not the best thing in the world. I'm still here. But there's a pattern which remains. God wants to break it. God wants to transform you. I think you know when you're a disciple giving the whole of your life to God, when you look back at four years earlier, three years earlier, 10 years earlier, and go, I can't even recognize that person. As you're transformed. The determination is simply the determination to say yes and to be obedient, to give God your everything. So I believe that God wants to break patterns that have just repeated. And instead, he wants to actually say to you that he sees you not through how you see yourself. He doesn't see you as the world. Honestly, I'm so over these advertisements endlessly telling you that you're strong and you're amazing and you're unique. No, no, they just want to sell you rubbish. But what Jesus says is that I see you why I created you. I see you not torn by the flesh. I see you not under the strongholds of sin. I see you. I am going to resurrect you at the end of the age to live with me as heaven comes to earth. And I'm inviting that into you now. I'm inviting you to step into everything I have for you, to be transformed by to be more like Jesus. Jesus' vision for you is so much greater than you or the world or any of the counterfeits that we can offer here on earth. There's an imprint of heaven and God is calling you to grow into that. And for the church, this is the vision. Yeah, there's good conversations to have about how we arrange our church. How do we do digital church, in-person church? How big should a church be? What program should it look like? That's all stuff. But it's ultimately window dressing at the end of the day compared to the moment that the church finds itself in of people saying yes with the whole of their lives. Where people start to look at the church and it's less, you know, are we pushing back against this or are we trying to hide over here or trying to look super cool over here? When actually people look at the church and see the shock of the new, Hints of heaven, the future reality of what a transformed humanity and a transformed world when the new Jerusalem comes to earth. That's cut through. That cuts through in a conversation, a digital platform, that cut through in a culture. Is everyone going to want it? No. But there's going to be people with hungry hearts going to be drawn to that vision of the church. That's the future. That's the invitation. Let's step into it. Let's pray. God, we want to say yes to your future. We think of that simple prayer that you taught your disciples, your will on earth as it is in heaven. We know that you're returning. We know that you will transform this world. We know that at this moment you are transforming the world, that at this moment there are people meeting, serving you, being transformed, ordinary people who in the quiet spaces have said yes to you. We can't do this in our own strength. It's not about determination, grit from human power. Rather, we say yes and lay down our lives so that we become empty channels, that empty space which your spirit and presence will fill your living temple. And so we say yes at this moment to your future. We know there's a fight for the future over people. I just want to reject in Jesus Christ's name, Satan's lie that people are stuck in cycles. They'll always be addicted. 
They'll always be anxious. The, the lies that they always mess it up, that you're stuck here, that you're going to live a Christian life and it's going to be rubbish compared to what the world can offer. We say no to all of that in Jesus' name and we should say yes to the transformation that you want to bring, that you said in John 10, 10, that you've come to bring life in abundance. That we can become more like you and the more we become more like you, the greater joy that we have. Portents of heaven, walking on earth. So we say yes. We say yes to you.